All right, here we go. Here we go. Franchising Wisdom, episode number one. And no one better to have on as my inaugural guest other than the one and only Red Boswell. Guinea pig number one right here. Thanks, Chris. Red, Red, you hear all that clapping, all that cheering. I promise you it's not piped in. Uh, (laughs) People really are excited uh, to hear uh, your story. Um, so Red, you know, here, listen, the, the biggest reason um, I wanted to get you on, and of course, lucky enough to have you on as my first guest, is, you know, your your wisdom in franchising. You have so much knowledge. You have such a great background. You, you've, you've, you, you're, you know, you've been to all kinds of conferences. You've, you've led table talks. You've networked with all kinds of great leaders out there. And I, I want everyone out there um, who's going to be listening to this to kind of hear number one, how, how you got into this franchising world, right? I mean, it's not something that you, you know, you've done for 30 years, but, um, why don't you kind of just explain to everybody out there, like, how did you get into franchising? Sure. What really got you excited about, you know, the industry once you were in there and, and let's just kind of take that journey. Sweet. I can. You know, born into a very entrepreneurial mindset. My folks were conservative accountant and and, and full-time mom. I, I didn't have an entrepreneurial family at all, but just saw the 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 the, um, the challenge of entrepreneurship and the, the fact that every day is different and unique. And uh, part of my uh, makeup is an achiever, love achievements and what can I do next? And so uh, it was a natural fit to be an entrepreneur. And if you uh, start, I started a dozen companies in, you know, in grade school, junior high, high school, trying different things, really starting a company at that age is really selling something. And so I, um, if you fast forward to when I was 21, I'm in college, I have a a CD, remember CDs, compact disc, I'm selling (laughs) CDs and buying and selling used cassette tapes and albums. And I got recruited into the wonderful world of Amway. Okay, and many of the old timers might be more familiar with that. Never made any money with it, but I tell you what, it changed my life from a understanding of success principles, reading, associating with the right people, attending good events, listening to audio podcasts that make a difference and and can be self help improvement type things, and so really just dove head on and have never turned back. Part of that messaging or that cult, if you will, is helping people achieve their dreams through business ownership. And that has been infused into my soul. Uh, I get so much fulfillment and feel so good when it happens. And it happens every day around here at IFPG. So fast forward about um, another decade, I had started a home services business and it was pretty successful. A lot of uh, blood, sweat, tears put into it day and night for years, made it successful. Time to sell it, right? Time to exit, do something else. As I'm constantly moving and trying to uh, one up my my previous one. Hello. <laughs> so I got um. I, I started to sell it. The, the business broker I hired said, looked at everything, looked at uh, my process, said, "Red, you have got something. You could really scale this." I said, "Okay, what does that mean?" He said, "I don't really know, but you you've got the, all the processes and pieces. Let's take this national rather than sell it." So spent about two years researching what that means. Am I going to license it? Am I going to get corporate investment and do it all corporately, location by location or territory by territory? And then this crazy idea of franchising, it came up. Well, what's that, right? You got an idea. I'm not a McDonald's. How can I franchise a services business? So that research and, and homework and reading and attending events, et cetera, started falling in love with the F word, franchising. Uh, this is back in 2003, uh, I guess, so over 20 years ago. I'd been uh, recruited in Amway back in 92, so here we are 34 or so years into helping people achieve their dreams through business ownership and um, ultimately franchise that crazy niche business I had back then and in about a three-and-a-half-year period, helped, uh, uh, well, launched 148 territories with 64 franchisees in 28 states and just had a blast doing it. A national call center. We had a billion collections center. Became a CFE or certified franchise executive around that time. And uh, man, just love it. Breathe it every day. 
I've, had, I've gotten married since. I've had three kids since. Those kids, all three work in franchising. One of them is a consultant with IFPG. And uh, my wife hasn't dove in. She gets enough of it from me and the family <laughs> and the rest of the kids. But um, was chief global chief development officer for uh, the largest business services brand in franchising and then uh, helped them uh, expand into some new countries. And when I left them a few years ago, I'm like, OK, what franchisor am I going to help? Am I going to start a franchise? Am I going to invest in some franchises? How am I going to what's the next chapter of life? Out of the blue, you know, as God seems to work. I get a call from Don Deskowski, founder of IFPG, wanted to talk to me about being president of IFPG. Well, I was very honored, had utmost respect for the consultants in, in IFPG and certainly the founder. Fast forward, we're five years later and I have never been happier. We are making such an insane impact and having a blast doing it. So hope I didn't put you to sleep, but it's, a, it's been a long and fun journey into franchising. Well, that's awesome. And uh, expand a little bit more. So, so five years ago, you, you get this phone call and someone's like, you know, hey, Red, you know, I've got this opportunity. I, I want you to, you know, take this on. Take us through kind of what does that process look like? You know, you, you get a phone call. I mean, is it a short conversation? Is it long? Do you does it take long to make those kinds of decisions? Uh, so when I um, two months before Don calls me. I got I left the previous organization and I got a text the same day from the president of a uh, another franchise consulting group. And I was very honored. He, he straight up said, like, talk to you about being president of us, the company. I'm honored. I'm blown away. I had numerous conversations. I realized it was not a good cultural fit. It was just not right for me. And so then fast forward about a month after that, I'm at the IFA convention, the big mecca for franchisors. I'm at the Fran Jam party talking to our friend uh, Storm. He uh, used to be with Benetrends. Now he's over at Repum. And I'm telling him what's going on. I've got like eight interviews, CEO, CDO roles for franchisors. Up walks Don Deskowski, founder of IPG. Don's like, hey, Red, how you doing, man? Uh, good seeing you at retreat. I, I, I went to the IPG retreats even back then when I was a franchisor's uh, chief development officer. And he said, hey, how's it going? I know you just left so-and-so and you're looking. You got any good things I can help with? Any can I be a testimonial for you? He's a great guy. He's offering to help. I said, Don, you know what? I'm really good there. But, brother, I got some stories to tell. And so let, we sat down and I shared with him the idea of me being president of one of his competitors. And it was not a good fit, I assured him. But during that time, he asked a lot of questions and we just bantered back and forth about it. Uh then about a four or five days later, the IFA is done. I'm back home. Don's back home. I get a random call from Don. Now, Don's never called me. I didn't know he had my cell phone. He calls me up and he says, you know, introduce himself again. He said, Red, I can't stop thinking about you being president of XYZ company over there. And I was like, Don, brother, I, it ain't going to happen, man. Not a good fit. I done. Absolutely no chance. He said, no, no, no. I, I would like to talk to you about being president of IPG. Man, I about fell out of my chair. I was like, what are you talking about? We sat there for 45 minutes. You never told me you're looking for a president. Oh, my gosh. And he goes, frankly, Red, I wasn't. He said, we're at a point now. We got to go to the next level. He said, you know, he knew that IFPG at the time, this is five years ago, was a sort of mid-tier franchise consulting group. We were we were average. We weren't the bottom. We weren't the top. We were just kind of, we were growing, but it, we needed to take that next big leap. And frankly, I was scared. I had I knew the franchisor world. I had been a Zor. I founded a Zor. I led franchisors. I had done random consulting for franchisors, as I guess you'd call that a vendor or supplier. But I wanted to be another. I wanted to lead another franchise organization or maybe multiple franchise organizations. Going to the dark side, as some people call it, going to the vendor side, the supplier side was, I was a little bit unknown, a little bit more of a risk for me. Would that? Would I enjoy it? Would I be good at it? And I was like, you know what? I love consultants. I love the broker community. They're great people. I have the utmost respect for IFPG and the founder there. You know, I got to do this. This sounds like a blast. I'm like, I get big time fulfillment from helping people achieve their dreams through business ownership. And I can do it in an individual brand or in two or three or five brands leading a group. But dude, what if I could do it in hundreds of brands with hundreds of consultants? My mind started just seeing the potential and what if, what if, what if. Forget the money part of it, that will come. But the joy and the fulfillment part of it was like, wow, is this really possible? Will he give me the, 
the bandwidth and the support I need to accomplish what we're both talking about. A lot of a lot of visionaries, they talk a big game, but when it comes down to it, they're like, oh, no, 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 no we'll wait and see kind of thing. Don was ultimately the biggest cheerleader and the biggest, uh, uh, what, what is it, not facilitator, but uh, uh, he gave me the resources I need to do what we needed to do to become number one in the world to attract the best consultants, to support the best consultants, which then brings on the best franchise brands, which then brings on the best supplier vendor partners. And then the success breeds success spiral kicks into gear. And five years later, we've done it. We will continue doing it. Part of what he told me back then was continuous innovation. He didn't use the term Kaizen, but Kaizen, (laughs) never ending improvement, right? That's what he follows every day. Now he still has a lean approach and I love it. We test, we measure, we monitor, and we change it if we need it before we crank out the millions of dollars to invest in whatever. So very much a methodical, lean startup process with IFPG, which has taught me a lot because I'm more of a ready, fire, aim kind of guy. And and so Don is the yin to my yang and that he balances me and sometimes tethers me, which I need. And so it's been such a cool, uh, I, I take it back to a God thing putting me where I need to be when I don't even know I need to be there and and then watching the magic occur. Been a, been a great ride and we ain't slowing down. That's fantastic. Um, why don't we talk about like the dark side for a second, right? I mean, <laughs> it, it's always, it's always good to talk about roses, rainbows and things like that, but let's talk about like, you know, maybe some, um, you know, mistakes, regrets, uh, you know, just various things to let people know like, Hey, Listen, you, you pointed it out well. No one gets to where they're at in life alone. And along those journeys, along those paths, are situations where we stumble, we fall, uh, we get bruised up, banged up, whether it's self-inflicted or by other outside resources. Just kind of share with the audience here, like, what you know, what are some of these things that you've, you know, maybe had difficulties achieving or, you know, mistakes that you've been able to make and overcome or, or, or regrets or whatever you want to look at it for. In franchising, you know, I, I'm a uh, very glass, not only half full, but overflowing. I see so much opportunity and very optimistic person. And so when I began franchising, I'm the franchisor. It, I assumed this is a mistake. I ignorantly assume people are going to work as hard as I do. I mean, think about it. They're going to leave their job, invest their life savings, They're going to kick butt, take names just like I did. They're going to do it nights, weekends, whatever it takes, baby. That is not the truth, my friend, at all. Blew my mind, still blows my mind, but it is the facts of life that most people are, if I'm I'm talking to the franchisor founders out there that have put in everything and then some to make their dreams come true, and they want to infuse that in other people, help other people's dreams come true. Well, guess what? Other people are not going to work as hard as you vast majority of the time. You're going to find some rock stars in the mix there, but most are not. Well, I built all my performers around them doing what I teach them and doing it even better and faster because I had already gone through uh, the, the trial and error. Well, most did not do that. So that was a mistake I made thinking folks are going to work as hard as I did. Another mistake I made is I'm very trusting. I had a COO that uh, uh, embezzled some money, did some sabotaging of things, was trying to take over the organization. That was very very surprising and sad. And it, uh, it caused uh, seven figures in harm to me, but ultimately it, the franchisees were not, were, were protected, but that's, that was a big life lesson is, um, just be careful who you put into areas of leadership and influence because, um, you know, they could, they can also hurt you significantly. So balance it, balance trust. I, I don't have a regret that I'm a, a trusting, believe in the individual type person, but at the same time, I should have balanced that a little better on the area of uh, giving people uh, access and authority that maybe they hadn't quite earned yet. Um, and by the way, you, you know, we use a funny term, the dark side. I think every industry calls the other folks in their industry the dark side. So <laughs> vendors are suppliers to the industry. What a wonderful world. In fact, I believe that the, the franchise suppliers and vendors uh, in, in franchising, nobody's cooler, nobody's closer, nobody's more giving and sharing and open than them. It's a huge universe we live in of franchising. And it's such a small community where we, we have the hashtag we are family in IFPG at our annual conference this past year called Retreat. But expand that 
franchising, we are a family, and there's no one closer in franchising than the suppliers or vendors out there. And so the dark side is a very bright and a warm side, frankly. <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's a couple pieces that you talked about that I want to kind of peel the onion back a little bit. You know, the, the first one is going to be Zora's. I'm going to talk a little bit to you about that. Um, the other one is about this broker consultant world, and then ultimately talking specifically more about IFPG. So let's start with Zors. Um, you know, you've got a deep, you know, understanding, uh, being one, developing them, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Why don't we kind of talk a little bit more to, to potential Zors that are listening to this? Um, specifically to start, you know, you had mentioned about how no one is ever going to work harder uh, than the actual Zor themselves, right? Um, what what are some of the misconceptions, right? To to people that want to get into franchising, want to be a a silent owner slash investor into a brand, uh, aka they're taking the back seat, right? They're taking a financial risk, but they themselves are not quote unquote, you know, the the ones in the trenches. So, what would you how would you steer? sort of that investor and or franchisor in a situation that's like, yeah, shoot, you're, you're, you're putting your hard-earned money on the line, but man, no one's going to work as hard as you in the trenches there. Like where, where's that balance at? Sure. And this, uh, I'll start it off with a bit of a dovetail from the previous question to this question. Another surprise to me was that no matter how much I cared, no matter how hard I worked and sacrificed for my Z's, for my franchisees, they still always saw me as this rich, lofty guy on a hill who is banking millions. I would I would travel, leave my family of uh, with little baby kids at the time, little five-year-old, four-year-old, two-year-old. I would travel across the country on my dime, sleep on their couch, go out and service their clients for free and help them and give my, again, my blood, sweat, and tears and life to my Zs. And yet... They still saw me as, in some ways, the enemy. Like the, you know, like he's the Zor. I paid him twenty-five or fifty thousand for the franchise fee. He's getting five or ten percent of all my revenue, and he ought to, you know, kiss my butt, which I did. But they just always saw me as this super rich guy when I was giving everything, every penny I had, and uh, six figures in debt to help them succeed. So that was fascinating to me and, and quite eye-opening that I was viewed that way when I was really uh, sacrificing more than anyone ever realized. And I know there's there's that handful or two of Zors listening to me right now in the emerging space that are like, amen, dude, whoa, nobody's ever said that. And it's so true. It's something so few people can really relate to. So it's a small community that really get what I just said. Now, to your more specific question, Chris, semi-absentee semi-passive. Big topic in franchising. There's really three types. There's fully passive, semi-passive, and full-time owner-operator. Fully passive, non-existent. Okay, just going to blow it right between the, the eyes. Non-existent. You, you have an opportunity that says, take my money, and I'm going to sit back and just and, and get paid every month. There's some brands that claim that dude, you still got to you still got to watch it. It's not fully passive. Fully passive is mailbox money. There is nothing fully passive. If th there's some brands that will manage it for you, you're still going to have to watch them. It's your money. It's your employees. They're managing them for you. It's your payroll. It's your overhead. It's your lease, etc. So fully passive does not exist. If you're looking just to throw money at something, don't get into franchising. You're going to have to put some kind of effort behind it. Now, it may just be four hours a week, but the vast majority of semi-absentee or semi-passive opportunities are a solid 15 to 25 hours a week. So keep your executive job cool. You don't want to give that up. You got some security, some great uh, income, understood. And yet you still want to have a strong side hustle. You want to build something outside of that to increase your security, diversify your portfolio. Super cool. But just don't fool yourself into thinking you can run something 10 seconds a year. And then on top of that, understand too that when you're building your pro forma your, and, and predicting cash flow, if you're using item 19 of your franchise opportunity and talking to Z's, awesome, you should. But you got to really clearly differentiate the semi-absentee, semi-passive opportunities and Z's you're speaking with versus the owner-operator. 
profitability is going to be significantly different on an owner-operator model versus hiring a manager and then managing the manager and managing the cash flow from a higher level. Very different. So just open, go after it with eyes wide open, understand the differences, understand your risk tolerance, your budget, your time frame to break even. What happens when the manager leaves? Does the manager have ongoing earned equity to keep them a lot more loyal and frankly, help them uh, incentivize them to work a lot harder? Things like that can make a big difference, but you want to plan for worst case scenarios because you can't go leave your job for a month when the manager leaves and you got to hire somebody else to train them. So what are you going to do in those cases? Understand it. Ask the Zor how they're going to help you in those cases and enter with eyes wide open. You don't want to regret a six-figure investment uh, that you didn't plan for best and worst case scenarios. That's awesome. Let's uh, let's dive into this whole world of of brokers, consultants. It seems to be sort of a, a mixed word. Um, it, it seems like some don't mind the interchangeable word. It so- sounds like at least some that I've talked to are very sensitive to the type of word that you use to kind of associate with them. Um, give, give, give the franchising, you know, world, the, the prospective person listening, what exactly is this broker slash consultant? Like what, what really is their, their job? How do they really kind of connect with organizations and, and what are the expectations behind it? Sure. Big question. Great topic. Uh, Let's give you five words that all are the same individual coach, consultant, broker, advisor, matchmaker. They're all that same individual. Okay, so those words are interchangeable. The two most common are broker and consultant from a a wording standpoint. We strongly prefer consultant or advisor. The term uh, broker has uh, it's a very cold word. It's a very transactional word. So we we strongly dislike broker. Also, in some cases, in some municipalities, it can be a legal term that can hold you uh, in, in some ways, perhaps even liable for issues. So broker is is frowned upon by most. And yet I get it. The franchising community, not the not the the rest of the world, but the franchising community refers to us as brokers. It's it's simple because there are more traditional consultants, the the companies that we franchise your business well, those are consultants or the, the employees of a franchisor that are out there helping the Z's. Those are franchise consultants. They're internal franchise business consultants. So the term consultant, we prefer when outward facing to the rest of the world because it explains much better what we do. But inwardly facing to the franchise community, it can be a bit confusing. And that's why a lot of the internal community calls us brokers. Hope that's clear as <laughs> clearer than mud. Um, who are we? Well, we, uh, French, IFPG is closing in on 700 independent consultants. Heck, wow. you might even call them independent agents in the, in the realtor world, which is a, a common analogy. They're real estate agents. Well, each real estate agent works underneath the umbrella of a Keller Williams, an EXP, a Remax, Century 21, right? Well, we are the, we are that. We are the Keller Williams of franchising, if you will. Forget the real estate component. We're the largest organization in the world helping people buy franchises. Keller Williams and Remax, they help people buy houses. How do those realtors get paid? The buyer doesn't pay a penny. The buyer's getting incredibly valuable support, education, guidance, introductions, tours of houses, et cetera, and yet not paying a penny to that real estate agent who helped them all along the way. Well, that's how a franchise consultant works. They're working complimentary. They're working free, if you will, for their buyers. And they're paid by the seller, just like a real estate agent. Again, real estate's not involved in this scenario, but the analogy of what they do and how they get paid versus what a consultant does in franchising and how they get paid is virtually identical. The franchisor pays a a fair commission after the deal closes, after the franchise is awarded. Now, to go deeper on what do the consultants do? They're out there looking for folks who would be an ideal franchisee. Sometimes they buy leads from sources. Sometimes they're on LinkedIn doing some prospecting. Perhaps they're out in the community talking, sharing, educating at the Optimist Club, at the Chamber of Commerce, educating folks on franchising, the hot trends in franchising, whatever franchising. They are building their own personal brand amongst their sphere of influence. Perhaps it's social media. Maybe they're doing pay-per-click campaigns. You name it, however a franchisor gets leads to buy their franchise, same answer for franchise consultants. They're out there 
finding potential buyers for franchises. Most people don't even know really what a franchise is. Uh, you know, they, they get in their 50s and suddenly they start experiencing age discrimination. They've had a job making some pretty sweet money. They leave it. Maybe they were uh, let go. Maybe they left it on their own accord. Suddenly they realize, OMG, I, I'm getting offers that were one third what I used to make. They're 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 hiring people half my age and paying them the same. You know, it's embarrassing. It's sad. And frankly, it hits you to your core. My value, you start questioning yourself. It happens all the time. I see it constantly in our arena. And so when a franchise consultant comes along, oftentimes it's sort of an answer to prayer to them because they don't know what they're going to do. They've hit the ceiling of frustration. It could be age discrimination, which is insanely common, but it could be um, any kind of discrimination or the glass ceiling, paper ceiling, they, they, or maybe they're traveling too much, or they just can't get that promotion. They can't get overlooked, or maybe there's politics, or they're tired of working with jerks, tired of working Saturdays or till 10 at night. You name it, we all have reasons why we hate or dislike our jobs. And so lots and lots of folks have that issue. And yet they have the, the ability to, to run a franchise. They have a little bit of financial wherewithal to be able to purchase that franchise. They've got the credit maybe to get the loan. Maybe they got a 401k that they can use tax-free and penalty-free. So there are millions of potential franchise owners out there that just don't know franchising is such an attractive and viable opportunity for them. And so that's a big part to your question, Chris, and sorry for this long answer, but it's a big part of what the consultants do day in, day out. A lot of people see a franchise consultant a lot like a business broker. And yes, both a business broker and a franchise consultant are helping people buy a business. But some significant differences is a business broker spends all their time looking for sellers. They're looking for sellers to sell the business and they can get 50 buyers like that for a business that's for sale. Well, what are they selling? They're selling cash flow and assets. Franchise consultants, we're not selling cash flow and assets unless it's a resell and then we're more of a business broker. We are selling world-class support, a proven model on buying power, a camaraderie of other franchisees in the trenches with you, field support, faster launch. Maybe it's a household name, but certainly the branding and marketing is in place. All these support structures to get profitable faster, quicker, more reliably, and ultimately at exit down the road, 5, 10, 20 years away, a better multiple than a mom and pop proven time and time again. So very different mindset and sales process buying a new potential franchise, a new franchise with no uh, no established cash flow versus buying a, an established business in the local market. Also, that, that new franchise is going to be a fraction of the investment of an established business with assets and cash flow. So the consultant is helping people identify that, realize the potential of owning their own business, achieving their dreams and their lifestyle goals through business ownership. We work with the Zors the franchisors, to identify their ideal candidate and match them appropriately. So that consultant will have usually one to two weeks, we'll have three, four, five phone calls with our candidates, educating them, qualifying them, getting them introduced to lenders if needed or if desired, asking 100 questions to ultimately narrow down, down and down to the perfect fit, the right opportunities. And they're bantering or going back and forth with that buyer to what do you think about this? And what have you considered that? And uh, we didn't really talk about this nuance. And that is it what an advisor and a consultant does. Ultimately matching them from six or seven hundred opportunities down to the final, 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 final three opportunities that the buyer would like introduced to. Typically, it's three. And those franchisors now take the lead. The franchisors now take that candidate whom we've been working with through their process, their discovery process. And that, that could take a month, two or three, but we're still handholding more from a backseat approach, massaging it, uh, preparing them for next steps, being a wingman to both the franchisor and their process and a wingman to the buyer and helping them uh, navigate this new world, this new process they're going through. So we, uh, we earn our keep very, very well at a ton of value for the franchisor. And one last thing to give you more insights on how we do it and what we do, the franchisors, okay, why do they work with consultants? They could go advertise themselves and many of them do. That's wonderful. It's one more source 
for leads. But ultimately, that franchise consultant, we don't replace anyone on the franchise source development team. That's a big misconception, frankly. We don't replace anyone on their development team. And we don't replace a single step in the franchisor's discovery process, okay? We're not selling their franchise. We're educating, qualifying, matchmaking, introducing, hand-holding. There's no closing on our end. There's no selling other than perhaps selling a little bit of ourselves to build rapport. And so the franchisors ultimately love working with consultants because what are we? We're a super high quality lead provider. Let's say it again. Franchise consultants are the highest quality lead provider out there. The only higher quality lead might be a referral from a current Z or a family member. Otherwise, we are the highest quality leads at the lowest financial risk. How is that possible? Lowest financial risk and yet highest quality leads. Well, the vast majority of the outgo or the expense for the Zor is the commission after the deal's done. Well, it's no risk there. They're paying a commission after out of the franchise fee to the consultant. So everybody wins. Low risk on the Zor side, paying for success. And then there, I, I said almost all of it. There's a little bit that goes to IFPG to facilitate all this, provide the technology, the support, the legal, all that. So we get a little bit upfront ongoing, but the vast majority of the outgo or expense to the Zor is simply the commission after the deal's done. And that all goes. It's a big part of IFPG's success, frankly. It all goes to the consultant. We attract the best consultants out there for a bunch of reasons, but a big part of it is they get all the commission. We take zero, none of it. They love that. <laughs> oh, no, that's awesome. Let's um, let's let's talk about something. You know, in case there's some people out there training for Jeopardy uh, that are looking for some really interesting factoids when it comes to franchising, and and I'm not even sure if you have the answer. You might, uh, you may not. But what I'm curious to to let our listeners know is, um, in general, when when a prospective um, franchise buyer comes to the table um how many of those buyers are completely new to franchising don't obviously don't own a franchise never really kind of been in that world that's kind of part a part b if they're not brand new to it all how many are coming back to brokers for uh maybe even like a second or third deal yeah um and then third uh we, we talked a little bit about kind of resales um and things like that so i'm kind of curious to know kind of what the pie chart looks like if we kind of break it out also into uh resales yeah i'm not gonna remember those three okay let's see the first one was what was the first one brand new. yeah just like brand new yeah those brand new people that are never right. been in the franchising world before um about 95 percent of the buyers have never been in the franchising world at all like not at all they don't know how to spell franchise you know they they it's it's like, what? I don't, I'm not interested in buying a Chick-fil-A. No, no, no. There's a whole lot more to it. Home services is a third of the industry. Business services, you know, mobile services. There's so much. And they also think it's going to be a seven-figure investment when oftentimes uh, it can, it's a fraction of that. You know, hundred that we have, we probably have a hundred opportunities that are hundred grand all in, you know, so uh, it's, it's a much bigger opportunity and bigger world than most people think. And so to, to your question, 95% have never even touched the idea of, franchise ownership, at least 95%. Now, the second part I do recall, because it was the dovetail of that, it was how many of them who have worked with consultants acquired a franchise, then come back to the consultant. Well, there's a couple of ways they can do that. One is right off the bat, most people think, oh, I'm interested in maybe acquiring one. Well, they fall in love with the brand so hard and so deep. Oftentimes, like I'm talking like half the time, they'll acquire the rights to more than one, two or three territories, perhaps a five pack. And sometimes if it's territory based, they can launch those all at once. It's it's very minimal additional overhead or additional cost to launch more than one territory. If it's a you know, location or brick and mortar based, then there's a, a development schedule. Maybe every nine months they're opening another one so they can do it over time with focus and, and excellence. Now, that's one way they, they buy more than they expected right off the bat because it's uh, you get the loan. It's the, oftentimes easier to get a big loan than a medium sized loan. Then sometimes uh, about. Um, let's say about half the time that buyer, let's say they bought one or three, they'll come back to the franchisor directly and want to acquire even more. That's awesome. Uh, they don't need the consultant for that because they're buying right from the Zor that they are at the franchisor they already have a relationship with. However, at some point, whether it's after one or after 10, that buyer, that franchisee that was helped and 
by that consultant says, you know what, time to diversify, time to add something else. I'm ready, but I'm, I'm done with this brand. I'm good with this brand. Maybe I'll sell out my interest in it and move on. Or maybe I just want to add another line, another brand, line of brands. And so they always, um, like 98% of the time, will come back to the consultant for additional help. What's hot? What's new? What would maybe um, balance well with this? I've got some restaurants. I want to get some home services. I got some home services. I want some business services. So they want to diversify it. Other times they come and say, I like something that's extremely complimentary. I'm already in the home. I've already got the trust of the buyer. What can I add on to that? I've got plumbing. Oh, let's add HVAC. Uh, let's, let's add on uh, in other home services, electricity, electrical. And so it can either be I'm looking for complimentary or I'm looking for something very different so that when the economy goes down, I'm, I'm more protected. Uh, one goes up, one goes down and, and many times when the economy hurts. So it depends on the risk tolerance, the budget, the desires and the makeup of that buyer. But the consultants are trained on how to do that. And we've got the inventory to help in any capacity on any scenario for a buyer. Interesting. And then this world of resales. I mean, how big how big is that world? I mean, does that compose of 10% of the franchise world out there? Like how big of a piece of pie is it for somebody who's looking to, to go that route? Yeah, 10% is a good number to, that, that I would use. So I when we train our new consultants, we train them that about 10% of your income ought to be resales because you're going to be dealing with all types of buyers. The risk tolerance is all over the map and the budget is all over the map. And so you get someone with a big budget, meaning a lot of money, <laughs> a lot of potential to, you know, great, great uh, income and great uh, uh, credit rating. They can get a lot of money if they don't have a ton and they are very, uh, very risk averse. So they want super low risk and they got a ton of money to buy that low risk. Well, that's a resale all day long. Because resales come with assets and cash flow and, uh, you know, an instant profitability oftentimes. So on the flip side, there's a whole lot more people that have, let's just grab a number, a whole lot more people that have access to 100,000 than have access to 4 million, right? A lot more people, uh, one or two or 300,000 versus one or two or 5 million. And there were, with franchising, the risk is so low already. So we're not talking high risk versus low risk. We're talking about very low risk versus extremely low risk. You know? And so folks who are interested in investing 100 to half a million to 600, 800, that unopened franchise that is proven, it's a proven model. You can see the item 19, you can see the profitability of others. Z's, you can see the valid, talk to them and get validation. You can see the minimal to, to no attrition of Z's leaving this, the system. You can talk to those who have left the system. You can visit the corporate offices. You can visit their location. So the, the risk, you've got super clarity and insights into all aspects of that business before you ever spend the money or invest the dollars. And so it's much, much, much more common to acquire the rights to have open a franchise, follow their system and get it profitable quickly, quickly versus I want to acquire something that's already open and is for sale with the cash flow and assets already in place. You're going to pay a much bigger multiple for that and it's going to take a lot more money to, for it. But as a general rule, the risk is lower because you already got the cash flow and assets. So um, long answer, Chris, but 10% sure, give or take. I mean, if you look at our inventory, we have between six and 700 franchisors. And before the, I, I mentioned between six, 700 franchise consultants as well, close to 700. And those ors, you know, the average franchisor has 183 units with us. We have them with zero. We have them with over a thousand. But I, I pulled up a report recently. The average franchisor has 183. Well, awesome. That's 183 locations or territories you can talk to and look at and research and see, uh, oftentimes see financials on. So that risk is so minimal. It's, uh, and yet a lot of people need to retire. They're ready to sell. They're ready to cash, you know, go to go retire in uh, Barbados. Well, you can be the recipient of that retirement, help them achieve their rest of their dreams. And you just embark on a new stage in your life and embarking on your dreams. So um, we love resales. We have over a thousand resales in IFPG's inventory. Wow. So when a consultant is doing the research and doing the matchmaking, part of that process is looking at potential resales that might be a good fit for the candidate. So, yeah. 
it's all over. Any, uh, misconceptions about resales? I, I feel like um, I myself kind of hear again, maybe what could be completely false and uh, what people kind of talk about. But there's sometimes a connotation that resales are kind of like dumpster fires. They're they're disgruntled properties that um, are up for sale for one reason or another. Um, can you kind of speak to you know how much fact or fiction is involved in in such a thought pattern? There's a there's a reason why that's a, 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 often people think that because it's true. I mean, let's get real. Why is somebody selling? They've owned it two years. They're already selling. Well, it ain't cash flowing five million. <laughs> it's cash go, cash cash flow on negative five hundred, right? So five hundred thousand or whatever, or or or, or it's breaking even. Um, a lot of times there's a death in the family. People go through divorces. So there are very legitimate reasons why a franchise might be up for sale, a, a resale of a local franchise location. Very legit locations. Life changes. You got to move. The spouse has a great the spouse has the main income in the family and they've got to move for their job. Well, one spouse isn't living in Phoenix and the other living in, in Brooklyn. So you got to sell legit reasons all over the place. But let's be real. There are plenty of as you'd put it appropriately, there are dumpster fires. There are plenty of folks who did not work with consultants or perhaps did, but didn't uh, don't know themselves well enough to realize that they cannot manage people. Heck, they can't even manage themselves. Maybe the franchisor was a bit weak and, and awarded them a franchise when really they shouldn't have awarded them. So there are plenty of reasons. Usually it's on the Z. Uh, and I can say that having been a Z, having been a Zor, having been a supplier, having been done at all, most of the time it is the Z's fault they just did not follow the system. They were not adequately funded and maybe fooled the franchisor into thinking they were because they're using all their home equity, for instance, but not having a home equity loan and claiming they, you know, they have a net worth of a million, but 980,000 of that net worth is in the value of their home and they refuse to get a HELOC to support it. And now, and they've got 50 grand in the bank. So there's plenty of reasons why, yes, there are dumpster fires, but guess what? There are plenty of opportunities in dumpster fires because that fire was created by the the original Z, now the selling Z. And so a fire sale, let's dumpster fire, fire sale, you can get a fire sale on some of these things that the Z's just went out. I mean, I've seen them like, let's say the, the franchise fee is 50. The all-in investment is 250. That's pretty common. 50 and 250. All right. Well, a Z is two years in, hadn't followed the system, haven't worked, thought they just bought mailbox money. They're not putting in the effort. They don't know how to manage people and they're not marketing at all. And so now they're probably blaming the franchisor for their failure, whatever. I, dig I digress, but they need to sell. Franchisor would love them to sell. And frankly, they'd love to sell and move on with their life and go get a job again or go live on daddy's mama's money, whatever. So great. Now you could spend 50 and a total of 250 to purchase a, a brand new territory or unit, or maybe they're so ready to get out of it, they're going to sell it for 175. So you've got a 250 all in investment that you could buy for 175 and the ramp up is much faster probably because they already have a location. They already have trucks. Maybe the trucks come with it in that 175, they should come with it. So there's um, plenty of opportunity in fire cells slash dumpster fires. And you're going to see everything in between. You're going to see five and $10 million sales. I saw an $11 million sale just a few weeks ago of a franchisee's massive territory in the plumbing space. It is a wonderfully profitable business netting seven figures to the owner. Awesome. And it sold for like a four, five, six multiple. Awesome. But you're going to see a whole bunch of $50,000 and $150,000 fire sales of people who just need to get out. And those are out there. They're, they're more rare, but you can find them. So yeah, a little bit of everything, brother. Yeah, that's cool. So along that same note, I mean, is there a, a particular industry that, that typically attracts the most buyers? I mean, statistically, there's got to be a certain category, right? Whether it's home services, food and dining, you know, whatever that looks like. I mean, what's, what do you find yourself to yeah. be kind of the, the most hot sought after category out there? Well, everybody knows restaurants. That's what they think. Uh, you know, you ask a, a, a typical adult American, they probably and say, what percentage of franchises are restaurants or food related? They probably say 98%. They don't know. When in reality, it's more like 30%. Okay. So just from the outside looking in, 
people uh, initially think franchising restaurants, restaurants, franchising. It's one and the same. That's what they think. Now, once you get into it, start educating them. We, we use terms like riches. Everybody wants riches. You know, you want to get make some good money. Riches are in the niches. So that sticks in the mind of the buyer. Interesting. Riches are in the niches. So we encourage our buyers, our candidates, as we call them, to be open-minded. In fact, one of the ways we'll present some brands when we're narrowing down that search is we'll include a curveball or two, meaning we'll, we'll include something that's out of left field in the baseball analogy. Wow, I would have never thought of that. We, we encourage them to present like that. Always include a curveball. We also encourage them when, they, when they're presenting those curveballs to the buyer, don't say, hey, are you interested in a pooper scooper franchise? <laughs> the answer is no every time. Okay. But if you say, I've got one for you and I'm going to, I'm going to explain it first. Think about all the boxes this checks for you, Mr. or Mrs. Buyer. Hey, you're looking for something that's under 200,000 all in check. You're looking for something you could get ramped up to profitability pretty quick within like, let's say six or eight months. Check. You're looking for something that has uh, at least a hundred locations across the country. So they're a proven entity, uh, much lower risk. Check. You're looking for something that you can, you know, have at, at, at scale, have two or three employees, not 30 or 50. Check. Low employees. You're looking for something that has big margins. Check. You're looking for something that's not cyclical. It's not a fad, but rather a strong trend. Check. You're looking for something that um, you can, that has availability in your market. Check. You're looking for something that has, uh, you can net uh, at, at within two years, the average net is 180 or higher. Check. And so you see what I'm doing here? You're giving all these check, check, check. And they're like, by the end, they're like salivating. Dude, this is the perfect business for me. Tell me what it is. And you go, it is bio waste cleanup. What? Excuse me? Yeah, yeah. It's crime scene cleanup and you clean up after hoarders and, uh, and, and, and crimes. Come again? Are you joking? No, I'm not at all. And they're like, wait a minute. All those things we just checked, 28 things we checked off. You made me drool and you're telling me it's cleaning up disasters and crime scenes and hoarding house, houses issues? Yeah, I am. Okay, let's go through this list again. I can't be right. That happens every day with IFPG consultants. So the brands that are not sexy to your, to, I, I'm giving you all these long answers, Chris, but they're great questions. What brands are hot? What categories are hot? With consultants, it's the brands you would never, ever guess because they love working with consultants because nobody's out there looking for a bio waste cleanup franchise. Nobody's looking to be a very few is looking to be a maid or a gutter cleaning or a roofer or a fencing company or you name it, all the non-sexy, the plumbers and on and on and on. Not sexy, not cool. Profits are cool. And so when you talk to your candidates like that about checks to all 28 boxes, boom, they say, they just like take a deep breath. They go pray about it. And they're like, you're right. I would have never found this. I would have never in a million years even considered it. But the way you presented it, dude, it's it. This is it. And they go after it. And so those are the hottest opportunities we see day in, day in, out, changing people's lives with stuff they would have never, ever thought they would have gone after. That's awesome. So the, there's two other two other things that I would love to kind of talk about as our time is is zooming by because we have such great content and such great answers that you're giving. I want to kind of go back to to specifically IFPG consultants. And I want to kind of use an analogy of college acceptance, right? A lot of people love the, quote, exclusivity of knowing that they're going to a place that doesn't accept everybody, right? You're, you're, there's not a 100% acceptance rate at this particular... Again, it's not an indictment on those kinds of colleges. It's just that, you know, people just feel a little bit better and puff their chest a little bit more that, you know, hey, my kid is going to such and such a place. And you know, it's, it's hard to get into. Take, take people through the, the life of what it takes to, to be a consultant for IFPG. Like what are, what yeah. are the, you know, purposeful hurdles that you put in place before you would allow somebody to represent your brand? Well, sure, Chris. So uh, some different components to that question. First of all, I err on the side of believing in the individual, very libertarian, very freedom focused, I'm a free man on my shirt here. It's And so if the person 
shows initiative. They show up for my call, for calls with me and our branch, our development director, Hira. If they uh, ask good questions, if they speak with our team and the team's good with it, we're good with it. Okay. We don't have a extremely thorough vetting process because I'm constantly wrong. I see folks that I question their work ethic, kill it. I see other people who've killed it at their job. They don't know what they're doing in this world. They can't manage themselves well. So I I sleep extremely well at night and have never had a single consultant ever come up to me and tell me off or tell me we misled them because we give ultimate clarity. We answer every question and we answer about 100 questions they would have never asked or never thought to ask. So we give all the information and clarity possible for the consultant and we let them weed themselves out majority of the time. I've turned a few people down. Majority, they, they turn themselves down because they know it's not a good fit. So that's how we do it. We encourage people to weed themselves out by giving them every bit of information and clarity possible. Um, to be successful, that was part of your question. How do we ultimately know if they're going to be successful? Well, in their training pro program before they graduate, they've got 25 to 30 hours of virtual training to get them ready to graduate. They graduate and then the training never ends. So uh, that's the biggest part of it. We do over 200 free trainings a year for our consultants. But before they graduate, part of the training is they go through about an hour session on the 31 mistakes franchise consultants make and how to avoid them. There's a lot of little things that add up to big things. But let's get there down, down, down. Three things you have to have to succeed as a franchise consultant. You don't have these, you're going to fail. You got these three, nothing else matters. Let's be right between the eyes, okay? These three are absolutely critical. When I'm done with these three, you're going to roll your eyes and say, no, duh. Are you kidding me? Duh, give me something I don't know. And number one, you got to fill the stinking pipeline, okay? Buy leads, pay-per-click leads, advertise opportunities and get leads, network in your community, get on podcasts, trade leads, get free leads from franchise owners. You name it, there's 100 ways to get leads. But guess what? You got to get some leads. Fill the pipeline. And I say that because I see consultants. I'll ask them, how you doing? And they're like, oh, it's going a little slow. Oh, really? What are you doing? Well, I'm going to be at the Chamber of Commerce next week. And I'm like, okay, I like networking too. What else are you doing? That's 1% of what you should be doing, you know? So get the pipeline full. You got to pay the bills. I've had guys that spend all their time trying to get the greatest logo, and then they spend another month optimizing their LinkedIn. Give me a break. Are you? Did you win the lottery? You got to make a living here, guys. So get the pipeline full. Duh. Number two um, is, um, are you good on the phone? Are you good on Zoom? Do you have a trusted advisor demeanor? Okay. And part of being a trusted advisor consultant guide matchmaker is being willing to have tough love conversations. Tough love. These these candidates, they want to be led. They want to be taken through a process. They wouldn't be working with you, the expert, if they didn't. And yet, even the boldest, strongest, most hard-charging 67-year-old CEO who's led a thousands person organization, they get scared. Okay. They get on the one yard line in the football scenario. I love me some analogies, don't I? But they get on the one yard line or at the altar of the wedding to marry this franchisor, they get cold feet. You have to be a strong, uh, caring advisor to remind them of their why and hold them to what they brought, came into the process for. Remind them of all these things. That's a big part of success. Lastly, brother, this one is a no-brainer of them all, and it's the biggest problem I see. Manage yourself. Can you manage yourself? There, most, So many people have had a job. Somebody's always looking over their shoulder, cracking the whip, checking in on them, tell them what they got to do today. It, the good news is it's all up to you. The bad news is it's all up to you. We're going to give you everybody that support, training, inventory, technology, protection, legal, guidance, ongoing, everything you could ever need to make super pretty sweet seven figures. And yet there's folks can't make six figures because they get home, they sleep late, they uh, walk the dog, they mow the yard, they play on Facebook, they go to Starbucks, and they are not managing their time by focusing on income generating activities. All right, I, I'm on my soapbox. I get passionate about this because it is not rocket science, brain surgery, rocket surgery, brain science, whatever you want to call it. It's simple. Manage yourself. Focus on what makes a difference. Get the pipeline full and be a trusted advisor with a solid phone etiquette and leadership ability on the phone to be a trusted advisor. Dude, that's it. You got those 
you can smash it with IPG. You can smash it as a franchise consultant day in, day out. That's awesome. So, so the last piece I, I want to get into is, you know, I want to talk specifically IFPG. You know, I want people to uh, understand what it is that IFPG offers uh, to those that are, are interested in joining your organization, whether it's a, another consultant, whether it's somebody who's a franchisor. And then to kind of dive even deeper into that, kind of part beat all that is, you know, what sets IFPG apart from others, other organizations that are that are like yours out there. And if you can just give our listeners a perspective of how many, how many of quote you uh, IFPG type organizations are there out there? You, you bet. Well, thanks for asking that, Chris. So why does IFPG become number one in the world? Why have we been voted five years in a row, soon to be six years in a row by the franchise community? in Entrepreneur Magazine, which is not fake news. You cannot buy that award. <laughs> Five years in a row voted number one. It's because of results. We get results. Well, how do we get results? How are we different from uh, the throng of other consultant groups out there? And there are probably uh, probably eight or so national groups. I encourage anyone to look at all of them. You will appreciate us even more. And if you don't, no sweat. You're, it's not a good fit. Number one, integrity of leadership. If the, Is the leadership respected in the community? Most are going to say yes on, on that amongst most of the groups. I know we are, and we will never uh, end that. Integrity first is part of my life a motto. Uh, next would be inventory. What's the inventory look like? That's been super important. Do they have 50 brands, 250, 650? Inventory matters. You got the biggest inventory. Technology, huge part of it. Are they still working on with Excel spreadsheets, or do they have world-class support technology behind the scenes to optimize your business to run efficiently? Big difference there with us. Our, our founder is, is a, a software and online software guru. Next is, and this is a big one, where's the money go? Follow the money. Well, with us, the consultants get every penny of it and they get it paid faster because they get paid directly by the franchisor instead of having to ever run everything through us. And they have guaranteed highest commissions. That's pretty important to know nobody's ever making more than you are. Another uh, big one would be the culture itself. I, I use the term libertarian, not talking politics, talking the worldview that we have. We let our consultants, if you want to come to every regional discovery mixer, and that we have more events than anybody as well, regional discovery mixers all over the country. You want to come to everyone? Come on. You don't want to come to any? All right. You want to come, you want to, come to our annual conference with 800 to 1,000 franchisors and professionals? Come on. If you don't want to, it's okay. We respect you. You don't you, you want to be on our virtual summit? You don't want to. You want to come to all our virtual networking? On and on and on and on. You read every magazine we put out. You see every podcast I do, every video I do. Awesome. You watch none of them. Awesome. We let you live your life. As long as you are not lying, cheating, or stealing, you're good with us. And I have plenty of consultants that don't travel, don't get online. They love the phone. They love making good money. And they respect us, we respect them, and we let them live their life. They're not lying, cheating, or stealing. They're taking care of their candidates. Boom. High five. Let's do it. So we meet the candidate where they're at, and a lot of folks really love that. Um, some other things to consider is the number of events are huge, which expands into training as a whole. We're constantly training, but it's all free. <laughs> training is free. So you want ongoing training. You love sharpening that saw. Or maybe you like the, the, the close-knit features of, of something. Well, if you've ever joined a, a huge church or maybe gone to a big university or a big, a big um, uh, Jewish temple or something, you understand that big can be good. You get, you get the big concerts at your place. You get the awesome training at your big place. You get the best uh, educators at the big universities. And yet you got the smallness of the Bible fellowship class, the Sunday school. You got the, the, uh, uh, sororities and fraternities and small clubs. So I love that we're the biggest, and yet we still are constantly on a daily basis focusing on being the most intimate in handholding and supporting and guiding. And that's, man, I can go on and on with about 10 other reasons why we become number one. But ultimately, when you have the best inventory, a very low investment to become a consultant, the, the unparalleled support, the money that goes all to the consultant, the, the events all over the place, a fun culture that supports your lifestyle, on and on and on. It's, it's kind of hard to be beat. Maybe I'm biased. Maybe I'm uh, 
uh, blind to any weaknesses we have. We're not perfect, but man, I have not found any organization that beats us on any one of those yet. And, and we're going to keep growing them and improving them. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, uh, I can't end this without, um, you know, uh, putting you in a, in an uncomfortable position. I, I know I've known you long enough to know that you would never, uh, puff your own chest or gloat about anything. But I want you to here. I want you to to tell me, tell our listeners three things hey, that you are. Brother, I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm five minutes late for a candidate call with Robin Sue Bennett's candidate. I can't. I got you. Absolutely. So, totally understand. That rocks, though. I, yep. I already emailed them, said I'd be five minutes late, but yep. uh, I'm already five minutes late. No, <laughs> totally, totally understand. Totally understand. Well, Red, thanks for everything. Appreciate you. Uh, and I'll see you in a few days over at IFA. Yeah, IFA, the regional in Salt Lake City, regional in Dallas, regional in Boston, regional in New Orleans, regional in Indianapolis. I'll see you on the virtual networking. I'll see you in the magazine. We're going to keep blowing this up, change lives through franchising, brother. Thank you for being an Elite Plus member and really building your business and helping change lives with integrity, with excellence. Love working with you and your team. You guys rock. Thank you, yeah, Chris. Love you and your team too, Red. All right, take care. Thank you. I don't know.